0: Welcome to the curiosity crisis we challenge ourselves to explore the world of business tech investing and science get curious and be part of the journey as we discuss challenge and learn
1: today we're talking about renewables and the energy transition a bit of a net zero 101 so yeah uh, let's kick it off with what's keeping you curious
0: Mate, what's keeping me curious is actually on the back of uh, a couple of conversations conversations had on the weekend, I'm sort of trying to, I'm in my mind, toying with the, with the idea of when are you competent enough to do something and, and try something new? Or when do you just dive in uh, sort of headfirst and figure it out and learn to kick and, and swim once you're in the water? So it's a bit of a philosophical one, but um, yeah, I think it's an interesting challenge. What's keeping you curious?
1: Yeah, so I, um, I bought this book recently uh it's called the fabric of reality um it's written by a british physicist and it's quite interesting it comes from a real first principles perspective and and talks from like explanations and the idea of an explanation and moves all the way up in terms of reality and, and how things work um anyway i haven't actually started reading it but i'm quite interested to um so that's why i bought it and i'm yeah very excited
0: that's unreal you're gonna have to give us a uh, an update
1: I will. I will. Once I've finished it, I've got another book that I'm trying to finish first, but yeah, I will. Nice. Yeah. So I guess starting off with the main issue, uh, what are, what are we actually trying to achieve here? What's the end goal? Can you break it down for us in terms of renewables and the energy transition?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's obviously the most important thing to understand, and it's it. You know, the renewables, the energy transition is defined in a lot of ways. Net zero. There's a lot of jargon thrown around, but I, I did a bit of reading, and, and the one thing that absolutely stuck with me is the whole problem um, and the whole uh, challenge that we're trying to solve equates to fifty one billion, um, and basically that means that at the moment. Uh, we roughly emit 51 billion tons of carbon dioxide equivalents um, annually, uh, you know, as as a world. So essentially, if we're going to get to net zero, we pretty much need to get that number to zero and then eventually um, start, you know, sequestering carbon back into whatever sources we can put them into. So that's what we have to, to get to zero, and that's a big problem.
1: Mm. So you're talking about... Um... You know where does the problem stem from? It stems from fifty-one billion per year, um, what tons per year, uh, and so how does that break down? Like where does where's that mostly coming from?
0: Yeah, okay, cool. That's um probably not widely known, and I think uh, hopefully when we're trying to understand the the, the challenge to get to net zero, um, it it does get better understood. So. Um, There's five main ways that we emit carbon uh, And it's broken down into how we make things How we power things How we grow things How we get around And how we stay warm and cool So um, the biggest one Have a guess what it is Uh, I I assume production Yeah, correct Yeah. So how we make things um, So essentially it's broken down into like The the major components of steel, cement and and plastic That's 31% of global emissions Um, Next is how we power things. So I think in the the initial question, you mentioned renewables, and that's what's front of mind for everyone, you know, need to replace everything with renewables. But how we power things currently is uh, 27% of global emissions. Then surprisingly, I I had no idea, but uh, how we grow things, so literally how we we feed ourselves is 19% of global emissions, nearly a fifth. Um, how we get around another really front of mind one with the whole electric vehicle you know, charge uh, is 16%. Um, but that also includes not just electric vehicles, but longer form transportation like shipping and, and trucks. Um, mm. And then how we warm and cool is finally 7%.
1: Yeah, okay. Um, now, I don't know about you, but I perceive most of this um, kind of being not necessarily solved, but a, a large chunk of this coming out from innovation so right. you know carbon capture technologies or or new ways of manufacturing or you know transitioning to to renewables or evs or whatever it is do you agree with that do you think that it's also going to be a, an innovation kind of uh transition that that's that's really going to be the catalyst i think oh, that's such a such a big question
0: um yes i agree it's 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 in it's going to be an innovation problem, but I also think, and we'll probably talk about this uh, as, as we go in, um, in the episode, mm. but I think innovation comes from many different things. So the front of mind and biggest one, and it's going to be, I think it's going to be a majority of the, the solution is, is technological innovation. So new technologies to do, um, processes differently or the existing processes that we have, um, are just a lot better and a lot more efficient um and and Mm. greener but i think uh innovation comes in other ways as well so like innovation in markets innovation in policy um there's a lot that has to come together to solve this extremely complex problem um Mm. yeah there's some easy solutions as as part of it but then there's some really hard ones so um Mm. yeah it's gonna be a big challenge
1: yeah, I'm interested in the the significance of energy storage in right. the renewable systems, and and how how does that solve the intermittency problem of um, renewable sources like solar and wind? Yeah, absolutely.
0: Like, I suppose you know, back in the day, or you know, where where we're probably at now is um, we generate electricity just to, to, to meet the demand. So we, we had all these sources that either were always running or could be turned on whenever we wanted. Um, and it became really uh, scalable and economic to do that with fossil fuels. So we were able to power, you know, our lives with fossil fuels. Obviously, we're, we're moving towards uh, renewables, solar and wind being the um, obvious ones, but they only generate, you know, when the sun's shining and the wind's blowing. So... The, the, the challenge then is either to make a demand of electricity match with when there's tons of supply, so in the middle of the day when it's really hot and sunny, or it's to make sure we can capture that energy because obviously energy is never created nor destroyed. It only changes forms. So we either store that energy um, in the form of, of some sort of potential energy and then use it, release it, to, and, and move it into electrical energy when
1: we need it, like right now. Mm. So I guess on this whole journey of, of trying to get to to a net zero future um, what what should we be focusing on at the moment like where should we be putting all of our energy into uh, is there anything that stands out to you in in what we should be aiming for
0: yeah absolutely you know and I'd love to get your thoughts on this as well so I like I think the the real challenge here is obviously, you know, we're, we're probably all, um, a lot of us are on the same team that we want to help, um, you know, the world get to that, that low carbon net zero future and, um, you know, mm. re- reduce emissions and stuff. But I think the issue is in some ways, the, the real definition of sustainability um, varies. Uh, and in some cases, just, you know, do whatever it, takes to to have the zero carbon solution but i think the real definition Mm. of sustainability in my eyes is when that green or low carbon solution is also able to stand on its own two feet so that basically means Mm. it's just economically sustainable as well um and that'll help Mm. to absolutely no end like look at what solar power has done you know that now it's on one third of you know most of the developed world's roofs um i know it is at least in australia um electric vehicles are starting to take off and and that only happens when they reach price parity with other, without like our fossil fuel equivalents, or they get really mm. short, like five to seven year payback periods for, for adopting these technologies. So yeah. I think there's there's a good concept that I read about and it's, it's green premiums. So... Really, how much more do you have to pay to go for the green option, and basically you mm. know we will'll we'll make massive strides towards getting to that net zero future when those green green mm. premiums are really small or or, or non existent you know when when the green solution is economically viable just just up front so mm. i think that's that 's the the biggest challenge um, and I think innovation, like we said in its many forms is is needed to bring down those those green premiums so we'll be able to decarbonize
1: everything. Yeah, I think you raise a really interesting point around, um, I guess, a self-sustaining system because I guess most of the the carbon emissions are not actually coming from countries necessarily that are able to throw an excessive amount of economic energy um, towards reducing that. Um, so it's often coming from, you know, like Scandinavian countries, for example, Um famous famous having very low emissions and and are very far ahead of the curve but they're also not really the countries that are producing the most so mm. um yeah i think it's quite interesting to try and break down that problem into okay well how do we actually make this um financially incentivized as well where it doesn't have to be a subsidy from a government but it can be something that yeah it stands on its own because it's actually profitable yeah 100 i think as well like when we talk about uh,
0: when, when we broke down that problem, um, probably the two things that people stand, stand uh, that stand out to people the most is how we power things mm. and how we how we get around. So renewables and electric vehicles they they sort of stand out as the the known easy solutions, but might be the solutions that people look to for what decarbonisation looks like. But you know when yeah. uh, when we say that there's not really solutions to a large portion of our emissions in the in the form of Manufacturing, so steel, concrete, and, and plastic, so producing those at really low carbon, or even getting around, like so, aviation obviously is a very high um, emitter, and there's not really any solutions um, at the moment. What I sort of mean by that is there there aren't really economically sound and scalable solutions that are on the mm. scale of something like electric vehicles or solar power yeah. or wind, because those those yeah. technologies have brought down their green premium to either be equivalent or cheaper than the fossil fuel counterparts, but you know, the mm-hmm. rest of mm-hmm. our, our economy hasn't. So those, that, that's really what we need to bring down.
1: Yeah. I, I think I, I've seen a thing as well where they'll end up operating within a niche. So for example, in the aerospace area, they, yeah, they have um, electric planes, but they only operate within like small ski towns where they can charge a significant premium for the same service as anything else, which means they also have limited range and they they only operate within that small niche. And so it doesn't become economically viable to to scale it to a larger a larger audience. Yeah. Um and that's kind of just the way that it is. Uh until you get innovations where you have breakthroughs in other problems that kind of come from physics and chemistry. Yeah. But uh yeah, I guess um another question is is how does like how can industries transition from fossil fuel-based processes um, to electrified processes and what are the challenges they face? So coming from an industry perspective.
0: Yeah, um, like obviously a a very good question and it's a massive challenge. So again, you know, industrial processes, 31 or more percent of our global emissions. Um, Unfortunately for uh, the net zero challenge and Sort of this for the planet, I suppose. The processes that exist with with fossil fuels do so because we've worked out how to move fossil fuels around really, uh, really easily. They're very, very energy dense. So gas and coal are incredibly energy dense, and there's not too many losses uh, in the in the conversion of that energy. So from the, the potential energy to boiling uh things and, and turning turbines yes there's losses but they're the, the capacity factors of of those are a lot higher than for example solar or wind so the challenge is i suppose how to make the electrified processes that are obviously very in- energy intensive i suppose cheaper, but also uh, efficient enough for them to, to make sense because uh, mm. solar and wind, yes, they're, they're free sources once, once they're up and running, but the amount of mm. solar and wind, for example, in terms of land, in terms of capital, in terms of materials that go into the, into those um, sources to produce the same amount of energy as um, older um, fossil fuel-based processes is, is a hell of a lot. So you need a lot to mm. do the same mm-hmm. thing. But um, there is there is promise. I suppose there's biofuels, there's electrofuels that that are um, being produced, and they are you know producing similar energy densities um, and hopefully getting to, to similar efficiencies. It's just the cost is a mm. bit higher. Mm. And there's also like sort of picky battle type processes. For example, um, low level industrial grade heating and stuff like that can be done through you know electric arc furnaces and using ideally renewable energy to power them. It's just like some Mm. of those really, really high energy dense, really hot industrial processes that fossil fuels do currently are very hard to replace at the moment with uh, Mm. with electrified Mm. processes. So
1: yeah. Yeah. Sorry, long long answer. But yeah, it's it's a big challenge. No, no, it's good. I saw an image recently kind of outlining the different amounts of of land mass in, in square meters required per megawatt of different um energy sources. It's mm. quite interesting looking at everything's kind of like, you know, everything has pros and cons, I guess. Um. Yep. And, you know, some some require a significant amount of land mass per megawatt and some don't, but then they have other risks and, and other rewards. Um, and it was really interesting. And you you touched on energy density just then as well. Mm. And I guess looking at the the most energy dense a material on the planet hydrogen mm-hmm. um i guess what are your thoughts on the potential of green hydrogen and kind of as an energy carrier and its applications in sectors like transportation and industrial purposes um i you know both of us have uh, have a history uh and some experience in the the renewable energy sector so i guess yeah what's your what's your opinion on how that fits in to the bigger picture
0: um, yeah, good question. I'm going to throw this one back at you as well, for sure, because I, I know okay. you know a little bit about <laughs> it. But, um, well, from my understanding, at least green hydrogen produced like through electrolyzers that are powered by uh, renewable energy and then used for some sort of industrial process. For mm. me, unfortunately, from a purely scientific point of view, it's very, very energy intensive to produce. So um, mm. to, to split the molecules, and, and there's losses along the path, and transporting hydrogen because it, you know, it, it can leak so easily has its own Mm. it has its own challenges although you know it's getting a lot of attention and and money thrown out like so there'll be a bit more r&d um around the the hydrogen ideally green hydrogen space but then also things like green methanol um are being used and getting some traction in, in shipping which is really really awesome and then hydrogen fuel cells in in longer form transportation which is obviously you know that I think it was 16% of world emissions comes from transportation. And only a portion of that is from light vehicles, which electric vehicles can deal with. So um, to mm-hmm. see hydrogen making progress in those, those sort of areas is, is pretty exciting. But uh, yeah, what are, you, what are your thoughts on, on, on hydrogen and what part it plays?
1: Yeah, I think my understanding is quite similar. I mean, from an engineering and, and scientific standpoint, it's an extremely difficult material to store just because the atoms are so small you know, they, they squeeze through anything and everything. Yeah. Um, so it's extremely difficult to actually be able to store the stuff. Mm. And a lot of people don't know, but it's actually corrosive to um, metal. So that doesn't help either. Yeah. It makes it really difficult. And then I guess you have this whole efficiency problem where, yes, it is the most energy dense you know element on the planet, but that doesn't necessarily help you if it's inefficient to make, for example. So that electrolysis process is extremely inefficient. Mm. Um, and so you can say well we'll use excess solar or excess wind um to to create it which is which is true that's a, that's a good idea but but then the question becomes well what's what's the difference between doing that or pumping water up a hill or electrons into a battery so then you have mm-hmm. these other storage solutions which on paper are more efficient um and so i guess it comes back to that economic problem where you need to find the area where it fits best. And I think at the moment that comes down to you know, shipping and transportation. Um, yeah. The The advantage with, with the shipping is that I'm pretty sure there's only 16 enormous cargo ships in the, in the whole world. Right. So you could probably target those massive ones and try and switch them off that diesel. Mm. Um, but they're extremely large. They need to be reliable. So there's other challenges there. But um, yeah... you. I think there's it has potential but it's it's a it's a difficult problem and it's probably better suited for industrial purposes.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Mate, we're we're getting close to time, but just on the on the on the aspect of like you know uh, solutions and technologies obviously we we both are, are pretty pro using technology to, to try and um solve the problem i suppose anything that solves the problem mm. is is good but what are some of your favorite ones for example we just talked about hydrogen without emissions i love um mm. you know like grid storage so season-long grid storage what are some of your favorites
1: at the moment, I'm really interested in, in geothermal. Right. I think that it has uh, some huge potential simply because if you get down low enough mm. into the Earth's crust, it doesn't matter where you are, you can use it. And what, what interests me a lot about it is that it's not an intermittent energy source. It can replace baseload. Mm. So you can directly replace your baseload, gas, diesel, coal, even nuclear, if you if you wanted to get away from that for whatever reason. Yeah. Um <laughs> But yeah, I think that it's it's actually a fantastic solution. Um and there's there's a few companies that are working on some pretty interesting ways of yeah, like vaporizing rock to get all the way down so that you can get to the to the closer to the core and get that, that heat and and spin a turbine.
0: Yeah, awesome. I mean, like some of the other ones that I, I know that we will probably need uh, in some shape or form, um, carbon capture and storage. So that that that's copped mm. a little bit of heat because it could be you know seen potentially as a cop out. But at the end of the day, we need to be taking carbon out of the atmosphere if if we're ever going to get to mm. to net zero and and start to you know wind that back a little bit. And then one of the interesting things, like obviously my my favourites, and, and where we're both probably a little bit we have a bit of knowledge like you know electric vehicles and and renewables they're they're sort of Mm. obvious um done a bit of work in them but i think one of the really interesting things that caught my eye is uh is is farming innovation so you know drought and flood tolerant food crops and that would work really really well obviously in in developing countries if if we can get them up and running Mm. and then obviously at some way shape or form some form of lower lower emission meat um or, or alternatives to that because again agriculture and growing things, 19% of our global emissions, which is, which is wild, mm-hmm. but we got to eat, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I love that. I think there are definitely some areas um, that are going to have some amazing innovation for sure. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see what developments there are in the future. Yeah. Okay, so if you had one key takeaway um, from this episode, this discussion around net zero um, transitions, renewables, what would be the big thing? What's the thing to walk away with?
0: Yeah. Okay. Cool. I'll, I'm, again, I'm going to throw this back on you. So get ready. But um, I think my my one my big one is is there's no one solution. Like there's just going to be there's going to have to be a large combination of different solutions um, of all the different forms. You know, technological, societal, regulatory, uh, political, um, and all of which are differing in difficulty, scale, you know, feasibility, cost, willingness, and and readiness right now. So. I mean it's like you can call that a bit of a cop out answer, but that's that's the that's the reality. It's a very, very complex mm. uh problem and it needs a, a massive and diverse solution. What about you? What yeah. do you reckon?
1: Yeah, I think I think it's a difficult problem, but I guess if I had one key takeaway, it's uh it's look for the things that are doing the most in terms of um big ambition, I think is is kind of a good thing. So whether it's um yeah, a, a company trying to do something enormous in the energy sector or trying to have net zero manufacturing or whatever it is. I think follow the stuff that's extremely ambitious because we have to be, if you're, if you're looking at the small stuff, it it can only do so much. Um, and given that there is a green premium, you never know whether something's greenwashing unless you look into it. So I think look look for the stuff with extreme ambition um, and it's, it's a good place to start.
0: Mate, I absolutely love that. The, the way we started is the way we finished. Like we contextualise the problem in, as 51 billion and, and a good way to literally mm-hmm. just put numbers to what you just said is so, sort of, if, if there's going to be a solution, you can literally do the math. Like how much carbon does this solution emit in relation to 51 yeah. billion and then you can scale and understand how uh, important and and material the solution is so um mm, yeah mm. great end i love that awesome thanks for listening find us at curiositycrisis.com and the curiosity crisis on instagram we're on all major streaming services so you can listen how you like catch you in the next episode